Welcome to the New Habits Podcast, where executives and MVPs from Microsoft Partners discuss the Microsoft Teams application and its use in enterprises. Welcome, everybody, to the New Habits Podcast. It's the last of our summer podcasts, and this week we're going to be focusing on all things wild. Joining me, uh, as ever, are Paul Schaeflein, Victor Velen, and Wes Hackett, who are our permanent MVP panel. First up on today's agenda is going to be looking about looking to and thinking about the Microsoft Teams mobile app. Now that it's out in the wild, what's it actually replacing? Are we calling using normal phones a little bit less and replacing our conversations with the Microsoft Teams call? Are we WhatsApping less? And when is this impacting how often we're getting our laptop out on the train? Can we actually work on it? We're then going to be having a look at instances where Microsoft Teams has been let out into the enterprise in quite an uncontrolled way to have a discussion about what we've actually seen when the jungle has been allowed to grow in a very organic way uh, and asking ourselves whether jungles should be tamed. And if we're going to be doing that, how do we go about it when the context has up to that point been pretty much free for all when it comes to Teams creation? And lastly, we're going to talk today about controlled versus uncontrolled company collaboration. How much control should we be setting on Microsoft Teams if we want people to adopt the service? And is there a relationship between how controlled the service is and how well it's used? So throwing the first of our topics out to the panel, it would be good to do a quick round robin of personal experiences in terms of what uh, has the sort of Teams mobile app uh, done to your working from mobile working habits. What are you doing? Are you phoning less? What's happening less? How's it impacted you guys? I can start. So the first thing I would say, uh, I started using the mobile client directly. Uh, first and for- foremost, because it was better than the Skype client. Uh, and when it comes to, to audio and video conferencing, it actually worked uh, very good when you di- didn't even have good network. So that's uh, one of the first kind of things when we started adopting teams with Navanod. But secondly, uh, I use the chat quite a lot just to when sort of when you're commuting, checking out what's happened uh, in the different teams and whatnot. But also that uh, that conversation you you had previously, either over email or in other channels. I would say predominantly most of my my business communications go through the Teams app and not through Facebook or or WhatsApp or other kind of apps, even though I still use those apps because of my consumer behaviors or people that's not in my organization, etc. But I love that and I use it constantly. And this I would say the third thing as well is I use that together. So when you're in a meeting like this, you can have it as, as an assistant next to you sometimes uh, so either look at the screen or uh, just uh, following the chat and while you have the three sc- screens up here with teams and whatnot on you have the fourth screen on the mobile so that is another really interesting scenario for me i'm using it less actually now that the desktop client's gotten better but um i, I do like its ten- context switching or tenant switching in mobile which is b- pretty good 
Um, but I wouldn't want to type a long conversation on a mobile device, maybe on my iPad with the keyboard attached, but, um, and I certainly can't use any of the tabs inside of the mobile app. So I don't necessarily see it being that much, uh, use for me. But then again, I think I'm less mobile than, than most folks. <laughs> I was going to say, Paul, you don't yeah. actually leave your house. Yes. So yeah. you're kind so. of the wrong person to ask. Yeah. <laughs> And I have another interesting scenario as well. You, you mentioned so uh, as well when you're sitting in, in calls, etc. Today, and you think about the, the desktop app uh, where you only have one window today. So this is the the mobile phone is sort of your pop up window for the Teams client right now as well. Yeah, yeah, I can certainly see that being as an alternative if if the phone call I'm on is is boring. Quite unlike the podcast, you know, we're all we're all very interesting <laughs> people to listen to. But I can certainly see that. But um, but the, yeah, the uh, I'm interested to hear the. I'm glad to hear your feedback on using it for for calls on using the phone as a Teams phone call client. Um, which could certainly be useful, so I have to try that out. Well, well, I know, I know from from my sort of personal patterns that I I use it to stay connected to the whole team, including including those including those of us that are uh, you know in in the US, um, <coughs> because of the time zone difference. You know, when when Paul calls me, it, it rings on my phone first and foremost, and most of the time we can just communicate and get stuff done from the phone. I mean, even the desktop sharing for the most part is practical uh, as long as you're not sort of diving into somebody's massive 34-inch wide curved monitor. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you if you zoomed in, you're looking at a PowerPoint deck, you can do those things on the go. I mean, I took this morning's um, consultant team stand-up while I was walking between buildings, did that on my phone. The team got what they needed from me. I got the updates that I needed from them and, you know, life life goes on. So I think f- for me, it's it's become that companion app that is in, in campus, which means anyone wherever they're sat is be able to sort of get hold of me and interact. And, and to Victor's point, I think it works really, really well as a companion device during, um, you know, a wider meeting. I mean, a lot of the time... Certainly, if you're talking to, to you know teams within the Microsoft tenant, um, you, you know they run a slightly earlier version of Teams. There are a few features that are different, etc. And, and sometimes it's a bit easier to to monitor the IM window on your phone in front of you while you're watching the presentation down below because you know fingertip tap to get the thumbs up the you know smiley faces and stuff is a lot easier um, from that phone device so I think it, it, it is really quite awesome that the phone app allows you to be companioned with any of the other experiences whether it be web or, or, or desktop because it gives that that slight dynamic in the sense of being able to sort of interact with a different part of the experience i know sometimes it's really useful if you're doing a webinar and you you're doing the presenting and you've got sort of the backstage crew pinging you one-to-one im in the teams client that you've got on your phone in front of you so you know below the fold of the video you can be you know all confident on the video down below you're watching all the prompts come through like a teleprompter it's it's really really handy as, as a companion device so yeah i mean i think i think it's a really great great experience it, it kind of brings together everything that the skype for business client promised to be the the yammer app and the, the sharepoint app could have been if they were in one place um, and, it, and it's, you know, become a de facto home screen icon for me. 
I think that is actually the critical point. I mean, Microsoft have talked about uh, Teams being the client, the first client, the only client that we should be experiencing the platform through. And for me, the mobile app feels much further along in accomplishing that than the desktop experience, precisely because, uh, and certainly in my case, I am taking phone calls more from Teams because we do a lot of international calling. Uh, absolutely, the messaging capability has taken over from WhatsApp and the ease with which we can transition from one tenant to another means that's the case whether I'm talking to customers on their tenant or having an internal discussion um, with our team. I think pretty much the only thing that um, we're not doing through the Teams mobile app at the moment is working on things like documents, but that's because the device itself isn't the right size uh, to be doing that kind of work. And that would have been the case, you know, before and uh, before the Teams app even came along. And the calendar. I mean, it's a crazy that we still can't see more than one day's worth of activities on our calendar, but hopefully it's coming. Well, that's that's coming. I think the Teams calendar has a number of shortfalls. Um, And I I have to say, even the Outlook calendar seems to have regressed somewhat with uh, the the sizing decisions that are being made between one day and the next. You know, it narrows down yesterday's diary items. And I'm often still trying to complete things in yesterday, (laughs) today, and I can't get to them. So I think, yeah, that's another kettle of fish altogether, isn't it? So putting our own experiences to one side where are we seeing, are we seeing um, customer organizations actually adopting that Teams mobile app? Because to me, it feels like they're so focused on getting the sort of desktop experience working and people engaged and using the platform that they're not really focusing on the Teams mobile app. And maybe that's a missed opportunity given the way we're all working with it. What do you think? So one of the the things that I I think is a shortcoming in the Teams app is the extensibility story. Um, You have a better extensibility story on the desktop app. And and, and that's, if you want a great adoption for Teams, and and you know know it from adding 365 as well, is that that when you integrate to your line of business system or your core process, et cetera, et cetera. So the the Teams mobile app today is the core Teams features, the calling, collaboration, chatting, and those kind of things, but not that extensibility story. And I've seen some early previews of what's coming, and uh, more will most likely come at Ignite timeframe. So uh, I think it's coming. but I don't have any hard facts on how it's used within different organizations. I know from speaking to clients, et cetera, that they are they, they love the application for, for just the reasons we said uh, earlier, uh, but I don't have any hard numbers on it. I see, I see, it, I see it really taking off against, uh, you know, the, the management scenario. The person in the organization or people in the organization who never get to sit at their desk because they're in one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. The Teams app has become the central focal point of getting stuff done because when you do the rollout and you get your desktop users to to sit in front of Teams and start working together in, in that collaborative way of course they can then still interact with the leader of the team or or the department head to drag them into conversation where required and that leader can grab those in the five minutes walking between the meetings so i actually see it 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 
it being a really strong and valid use case in in the customers we're working with that have you know, very, very busy middle and senior management where they don't get to sit at their desks and they don't get to get the laptop out. They're basically carrying an iPad and they carry their iPhone and that's that's their world. Um, and they, you know, they have support staff, back office staff that are doing other elements of the more, you know, document centric creation. So, so I, I think it, I think it has its place. I think if you were trying to roll out the, the Teams app to the wider campus. The things I see that are the big no-nos for many is the controls IT want to put in terms of device management. You know, rightly or wrongly, I don't want to get sort of into the whether they should or shouldn't control someone's personal device, but there's a significant amount of fear still in the average employee about having a business application that has business data on their device using their, their data plan yeah, especially if it's not paid for by the company. So sometimes there's a you know, there's quite a, a significant difference between those that are in the the roles that have a lot of those perks involved and then those that just, you know, they're paying for their own phone, paying for their own data, especially if, you know, travelling abroad. I think as well we've seen um a lot of organizations that provide services to other organizations. Uh, i.e. they have a lot of client teams using the mobile app as well because, of course, they're on customer site. Their laptop might well be open uh, doing some screen sharing with the customer in the room and then they've got the team's mobile app there on their lap and whatnot, talking to their team and managing their internal bits. Um, I think that's definitely a use case that uh, we're seeing within the customer community as well. I mean, they could, uh, the, the, you know, to go go back to the previous point around, you know, features that that Victor was talking about, you know, first party features. I think the one the one weak link at the moment in use cases that I I stumble across almost every day is the 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 file in the file referencing within a conversation is very tricky compared with the the desktop app. So, you know, if you're on the go, I had I had one on the team this morning saying, "Oh, you know, can you just share that that design document that you we were talking about last night and it's in the file structure within that channel and I click the paper you know I click the paper clip on my phone and it launches the OneDrive app and it launches it into my personal OneDrive first and foremost and then it then you have to you have to kind of really know what you're doing with the OneDrive app to be able to find the file structure that's within the team's experience you know it's it's suddenly because you're not in the team's paradigm anymore it's all laid out differently. Whereas, you know, you'd expect to see something similar, click the paperclip, browse team, and it show you the channel folders and just the channel folders and jump you straight to where you were like in the desktop app. So I think, I think there's a, a usability challenge when it comes to actually getting, getting references to files. Cause I think the scenario I find myself in is when I'm on the phone, it's almost certainly always, Need to go and start a reply or a new chat with, oh, the document is here. This is the page in the document that I need you to go and look at, or this is the information that is in this SharePoint page. And it seems a really obvious use case to me that should be a button, you know, a couple of thumb thumb taps on the phone to to get that set up. But instead it's launched it's you know, it's launched the other proprietary Microsoft app, which no longer has the context that I'm in a Teams team and I'm doing stuff. It's just like here's a flat folder structure. So do we think that 
that's a point of improvement for the Microsoft Teams mobile app? Or do we think that this is where we sort of circle back to the discussion we've had thematically almost through all of these New Habits podcasts, which is about, is this just going to be a problem when we're trying to do everything in one client? You know, you only have so much real estate. If we're trying to get everything done in a couple of clicks, we can't do everything. And if we've have it, we've got a great messaging experience and a great calling experience, it, is it just simply not possible? Do In fact, do we need a Teams Documents mobile app? Well, I don't, I don't think so. I think what needs to happen is where where these use cases crop up because it seems you know in my mind that's a really obvious use case that it just needs to be thought through between the interaction between the two apps because it could be simply solved by the invocation of the new you know the OneDrive app being launched should be deep linking to the folder structure of the channel that I just launched it from but instead it sort of drops me right at the top of the OneDrive app and says well yeah we we know you want to find a file because you click the paperclip but we but that's not the behavior that the user is expecting the user is expecting well i i normally get prompted to where i am locally my context but now we're jumping out to an app so so it's not it's not that we need in my mind one app to do everything it's we need where the use cases flow across apps and we want to drive this, OneDrive is one place to see all files, it should still be intelligent enough to know where I came from or be told where I came from to influence its behavior. Well, but so I just switched from Android to iPhone and it seems like every time I launch an app on the iPhone, it takes me, or if I need a file, I'm back to the home or the root of the iPhone app and I don't know how to get where I was. That's a common thing across the, the device. So to your point, Susie, uh, a Teams file picker, now the Teams team is writing something for the iPhone that the OneDrive team already wrote. So I can, I, it, that's kind of, a, you know, pick your poison type of thing there. Do we want them to innovate else or, or redo stuff that's already been done? So. I, I think that's just going to be a, a pain point that enough people have to yell but, at them before they do anything about worth, it. So. I think perhaps with some of the uh, advancements with AI and certainly the capabilities we already have today within Graph, I think Wes's point about being able to move between the apps and retain your context is a really strong story because these apps do already exist. We already have the OneDrive, you know, Yammer, Teams apps. Um, so it would be good to, as we've all said, kind of not start from the beginning or the top of any experience. No, I'm just actually checking out the application here now while, while we're doing this. And, and I, I see that change some of the things. Uh, it's easier, I think, to, to access the local files there. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a pain actually adding a file from your OneDrive or sharing a file you have there into Teams. And, and, and uh, it, that it doesn't even load the app anymore on, on <laughs> the version I have of Teams. So, uh, yeah, that is, and that is one, of, I would say that the typical user scenarios when you're on the go, right? Uh, you get a message from someone, hey, can you share that document? Uh, and then you, okay, let's do it the old OneDrive way. So, and you share a link in email to someone and, and then you're back in email land again. Yeah, and as long as there's conflicting priorities, Apple wants you to go to iCloud, mm. and Google wants you to go to Google yeah. Cloud, and Microsoft wants you to go to OneDrive. Is you know that's just the way. I, I don't see that going away anytime no. soon, sadly. Okay, as we turn our attention uh, to our second wild theme, um, we've got to ask: What are we seeing where organizations have just turned on Microsoft Teams? 
and left employees to it. First of all, Victor, talk us in. Why have some organizations just turned on teams and left their employees to it? Yeah, first and foremost, everything new and shiny in Office 365 is enabled by default. So if you're... uh, if you don't have control of that, if you don't have governance of your Office 365 subscriptions, then you you will get everything new and shiny. That's how the world works. Uh, and that is often the case uh, for, for many clients. I would say at least the smaller clients, they, they're happy with that and want to have all the new stuff and then, then it's fine. But but if you don't have that in, in larger enterprise, etc., and you turn Teams on and suddenly you have things such as 4K video streaming going in and out through your network, and that could, if you have already start with have a bad network set up or whatever, then your internet experience and network experience is going to be horrible. Yeah, and I, and I would say that I think that Microsoft has gotten better in communicating that these things are going to start. Uh, uh, lately, I've noticed multiple messages in the the admin message center saying this feature is going to turn on starting. So, so the communication has gotten better, but they still haven't changed the default behavior, right? So we still have this issue of it's it's going to be there. So if you're if your job is to manage Office three sixty five, you should be watching that message center regularly to see what's coming and uh, and get on board. Yes, yeah, the only way the IT admins know how to turn everything off as well. I mean, to, you know, if you don't know that new service is arriving and you, you're being more controlled in your rollout, then, you know, it's on by default, as you say, and it's just into the wild before you know it. I mean, I find it, I find it quite slightly quite amusing in the sense that, you know, you've got big organisations who have got big mechanisms for governance and control who say we haven't rolled teams out and you're like okay well, we'll just do a little bit of an audit of what's there and you suddenly find they've got 12 1200 1300 teams and and it and it comes as a shock to them and they're and they're sort of sitting there going well how did that happen and you say well have you licensed everybody for teams yes why did you do that well because we didn't turn it off Okay, so it's natural that somebody somewhere is going to have heard of this thing. There's a fairly large marketing push for it, <laughs> so it, you know, it, I, I find it, I find it, I find it slightly shocking still that you come across very well established and strongly governed IT functions in in large enterprises that are shocked that something has slid under the radar. When you know we live and breathe this stuff, we think, well, you know, there is a very large drum banging about Teams every single day in the Microsoft ecosystem. You know, you'd have to go a long way to try and avoid it. Uh, and then you hear you are in big enterprises, and they're finding out that they've got this whole ecosystem of stuff. And you know, it's had even to the point where some have had customizations embedded in them that people have have not sanctioned, and you know, custom bot apps and all that kind of stuff have been sideloaded, and all, all the sort of things that. Um, start scaring those enterprise teams uh, happening by default. So it can be can be quite fun. And how about where how about where we might have uh, enabled Teams as a Skype for Business replacement? Because obviously you don't do that without very actively promoting the service to your employees. But of course they don't just come to the service and get calling, do they? No, 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 
they don't get the, those calling plans. But you're touching on, on a very interesting subject here as well. So assuming you you have this Skype for business, uh, Skype for business online previously, and you have suddenly have Teams, and we all know that the coexistence between those two aren't the the best experience for the end users. So that is going to cause a lot of frustration for for your company and everyone trying to get on Teams because they can't chat with their Skype friends, etc. And and I don't want to go too deep down into those kind of different kind of settings with the coexistence or, or whatever these modes are called now nowadays, how you set that up. But if you enable Teams and you have Skype for Business online uh, or even Skype on-prem and you want those federation kind of things to work as well, you really need to, to get your stuff together and, and start having a plan of, of getting out of that coexistence mode as soon as possible. Otherwise, the end user experience is going to be much worse than 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 in but Skype I'm for Business. But I'm curious if if it would seem to me that if I'm running Skype for Business or I have been in the past, I've managed voice over IP at the organizational level. I'm kind of more in tune with who's got the client and who's doing what, as opposed to I don't have Skype for Business or I'm not doing voice over IP, and now people are doing Teams just so they can chat, and that's going to be where the sprawl would have. I think I, I would think unless I'm totally unplugged, but. Um, it's, I always thought the Skype people had a little bit better handle of at least the awareness of what's going on. But this is the exact scenario I think we're talking about. If there's, you know, most organizations have or are transitioning from Skype to business, um, Skype for business to Microsoft Teams. And I guess where this is going is we're saying, well, if we make that switch, do we also then need to educate the business on uh, the broader team service capabilities around teams creation. When do we use use uh, teams? When should we be creating channels in existing teams? Um, you know, all the things we've talked about in the podcast previously, you know, should we be showing people how to add tabs, how to surface SharePoint pages, you know, because it, it can do so much, um, isn't there a danger that we're kind of taking people to the team service for something as simple as we're replacing Skype for business, but actually in doing so, um, we're kind of opening a bit of a can of worms because they're suddenly got all this other tooling at their disposal and they're not necessarily using it in a very structured way. I mean, Adding 365 are doing a project at the moment where um, we're sort of touching multiple organizations who uh, some have had quite a kind of controlled socialization of what teams can do and others haven't. And to be honest, both are pretty wild <laughs> in terms of what's there. And and so uh, perhaps the, the, the question we ought to pose is also, does it make a difference? If we are aware people are going to um, teams as a Skype for Business replacement, should we um, – is there any point in trying to control how, how they might then um, manage their creation of teams versus channels and things like that? Or, or, or is this it? Is this going to be the next you know, service that we all thought would be great and it's turned out to be terrible because it's out of control? Yes and no. I, I, I love control, but I also love the flexibility you have there. And, and being having used this service is like two, two and a half years, something like that right now. So in the beginning, I, I would say everyone created teams. So we had like 
digital workplace team 607 or whatever uh, within our organization and and, and it sprawled like like, like crazy when, like that uh, with those kind of features people added stuff and created new teams but i think that's at least we're we're in systems integrated company we are consultants we know this work and these technologies we eventually learned that and, and applied governance and we did a lot of training but i think though that kind of training is required uh, for many reasons uh, because first of all it's not just replacements as you alluded to for, to skype the team skype for business uh, it is something else it's so, so much more than that so and if you can just use it for chat and calling if you want to, but you really get the value of it if you start using tabs, uh, the int- other integrations you have, I don't know, connectors, whatever. So those kind of things. And you really need to do training. And and I've talked about this previously, but we have these kind of generations in our workforce and we have those who are existed before email, etc., and still want to use email. Uh, we have the, the millennials coming in and they are, they adopt these kind of things very fast because they're used to that kind of way of new things happening. But if you've been sitting in OCS and, and Skype and, and Link and Skype for Business for for many, many years, it's a hard thing to change that. And, and you will use it in the same way. Uh, you will use Teams in the same way you use Skype, Link and OCS. But that's the way you, we, I want to change my clients so they change the behavior. It's not it's the same kind of feature and it's sort of, feature parity, but it's so much more. So that's the behavior and that needs to be done through a proper uh, adoption program or training program. It could be done in many different ways, but I think that is paramount if you want to have a great uh, success with the teams. But 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 then taking that on and, and Wes, I'd like you to come in on this question. Is there such thing as the wrong sort of adoption? You know, because if if uh, if we're saying that the main thing is people use it, it's replacing sort of shadow IT, it's replacing things like Outlook, which we all understand the limitations of. It, it, is it enough if people are just using Microsoft Teams, or is there such a thing as as kind of poor adoption, poor use? Because when we talk about poor use, we might be talking about, God, this team has created, uh, or this department has created 100 teams when they should have had five with 10 channels in each. That's a problem because for IT, it's a headache <laughs> to manage that many more teams. But no, I wouldn't say. Uh, is it wrong? As, as long yeah, as it's wrong, use it like that. Yeah, the employees, the, the people using it get more efficient, more productive, and more happy. I think then if they have 100 teams or two teams, it doesn't really matter, right? Oh, yes, for IT, it's a pain in the ass doing those kind of things and managing that. But it's all about, the, I would say, the, the productivity of the end users. And, and uh, if they fine with one team and channels and set it up that way, or if they prefer to use many teams and one channel in each, then, then it's up to them, I think. Well, and I think you're going to find managers and organizations where some like to micromanage and it's all about Mm. the process and you have to do it. And there's others who don't really watch the process. They want the results. So I think they're both right. They're both wrong. Depends on the environment. Mm. But I mean, but, but picking up on Victor's point, I think most people would agree that the important thing is people are more productive because they're using the software. Mm. But the productivity gains 
are dependent on the way that that service is being used. There's an optimal way for the things thing you're trying to do, and there's a less optimal way. But it also depends on the work habits of the people doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can you could I don't know that you can just just evaluate this in a vacuum. Well, well, well okay. So, so I think I think there's a there's a there's a view there's a view of this that kind of I have in, in the sense that firstly you know you can you can make a measurement tell whatever story you choose uh, you know if you are looking at uh, monthly active users you know teams has got more u- monthly active use than slack okay good that's one metric teams is better adopted in this organization versus this organization you know because we've got 99% of people rolled into teams in 3 weeks versus the 7 years it took another organization you know, to Paul and Victor's points around, there's no right and wrong way of using Teams, which means that adoption isn't a target. Adoption is a byproduct of an organization with a growth mindset or, you know, as Microsoft would say, or with a innovative, curious mind of an organization that is going off and, and satisfying a particular problem space. I mean, we work with a, one of the UK government agencies, you know, it's a construction, multi-year, billion, billion pound project. They're, they're highly structured, highly regulated, very systematic and methodical people being incredibly innovative with high adoption, right? Which is a complete juxtaposition because normally if somebody is very procedural, very process centric, they don't innovate at a particularly high pace, but actually those frameworks and the tools being adopted and and, and used in a particular process centric way has actually freed them up from some of the mundane, you know, Microsoft Flow being integrated to that experience to do document centric management and stuff like that versus some other organizations, you know, I I actually find that IT controversially are some of the worst groups in in the ecosystem for using these tools well because they get so hung up on the opinion opinionated should it be this or should it be that that they just don't experiment they don't try and find the best way to get something done they don't try and uh you know try something fall over pick themselves up carry on with it and and instead they try and sit in the center and impose the adoption approach or the mechanism by which it's controlled without really understanding what detrimental effect that's having at the uh, uh, you know at the at the front line we see some incredible innovation in in new business areas you know we've new business teams who have traditionally been moleskin on paper you know all their notes are on in written ink taking teams by you know teams on the mobile app teams on 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 ipads and really going to town with their working together getting stuff done working 24 7 you know people in one geography working with another geography to do global pitching and it's unlocking creativity that they couldn't have got through another technology means you know teams has brought together conversation it's brought together video and sharing and security and all the pieces that that particular scenario needed but if you were to talk to the same company's it team they're fixated on naming conventions they're fixated on uh, policies being applied to you know labeling and stuff like that they're, they're not thinking about what the business is trying to achieve and i think that you know to go back right to the beginning of the question can you have the wrong sort of adoption 
No, adoption is a byproduct of activity. You can have the wrong sort of activity. You can have activity which is businesses trying to look over their shoulder and retrospectively apply and do things versus the activities in the business that are pushing the business forward. And, you know, and I think there's a, there's a pivotal moment. I mean, we're seeing it in the, in our own Microsoft ecosystem, you know, partner innovation, what a partner is, how it interacts with Office 365. Microsoft delivers so much out the box now. 10 years ago, 99% of that would have been built as custom code, costing millions of dollars, taking two years to build. Now it's turn it on. Or it's, as you know, as we say, it's on by default. The adoption is immediate. So now it's about, okay, what's the business? And it's become much more business-centric consulting than it has technology-centric consulting. And I think that's, you're seeing a shift in the ecosystem. We are talking about adoption now. And and those that are getting it right are not talking about adoption and monthly active usage. They're not talking about rollout figures of percentage of people that have accessed something. They're, they're talking about what was the business outcome and how that's changed their business and their prioritization of how they, how they roll stuff out. Well said. So... If we were a central IT team of a large organization, how would we know whether or not divisions in our business were experiencing productivity gains as a result of using Microsoft Teams? Would we simply look at their usage of the platform? How would we know when our jungle needs to be cut back a bit, when we might need to put a path down the middle to get people from A to B? Because it is the case that sometimes organizations or divisions within organizations can set themselves up in such a way that is suboptimal, carry on down that road, and actually there, there are good grounds to kind of say, stop, <laughs> let's restructure this a little bit so that it's more useful, it can help make you more productive. How would an organization identify those? Well, I think it's got to be at a local level. I don't think anything in centre can can identify the exact points in the organisation that need to be adjusted, tillered. There's, there's a you know in any organisation of size, there's a senior leadership team that have a global strategy that's highly public. That entire execution then cascades through many many facets of the organisation's ability to execute, and I think. One of the things that an organization needs to be much more comfortable with, certainly from an IT-centric part of the organization, is reacting to the change and supporting it in a more fluid and dynamic fashion and, and not worrying so much about whether it's good, bad or indifferent the historic use. If if a, as you, you know, as you mentioned earlier, if a, if a a particular department, a particular team has spun up a hundred teams but they're meeting the global CEO's business objective of, you know, establishing themselves in a brand new market and getting, you know, a land grab of 80% of the market in 12 months. If that target is being met, should the organization sweat the small stuff of, have they got 100 teams with one channel or one team with 100 channels? You know, I think I think sometimes the, the focus is on the wrong part of that is how can... How can, an, how can a central function, a, a, a group of individuals who are innovative, go across teams that exist and 
actually analyze and understand it's you know it's a bit like manufacturing of old when motion studies were done where it's like you know there are certain ways that we can put this car together that are more efficient less stressful on the human body and they put those mechanisms in place to make sure that the price point for the car is right the humans putting the car together get the rotations on shifts correct all of that kind of stuff and and the 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 point we're at i think in, in this sort of teams ecosystem now it's been it's been very vibrant for at least 12 months now we're seeing as as, as you as you mentioned we're seeing a huge sudden look over the shoulder by many organizations going wow we've got chaos we've got a jungle we've got this, this sprawl of thing and people are complaining about sprawl and and, and stuff and, and things like that what they forget is that they had an s drive and a file share with gigabytes and terabytes and petabytes of stuff that was exactly the same and it never stopped the organization working it just stopped the organization being dynamic in certain ways it, it that you know the behavior of there's a file share that's how we've always done it i think teams is stopping the organization thinking about this is how we've always done it now they're thinking about well we did it that way last time can we improve upon that can we improve upon that can we improve upon that so it is unlocking creativity so to to the kind of final segment that we wanted to get to today where does this leave the notion of control uncontrolled collaboration environments particularly if we think about governance because we've already talked about the fact that because of the way Teams is often introduced into organizations, whether it's because it's already just turned on or because people are doing a Skype for business shift, there is a tendency to have something more natural um, in that particular part of uh, the Office 365 capability. So, where does this leave governance, not just at the outset, but on an ongoing basis, you know, nor with, with pretty much every other uh, kind of service, there's that piece at the beginning, which says, you know, let's do some, if you think about SharePoint, let's come up with some site designs, let's come up with some naming conventions. If Teams has sort of come in more organically than that, how would you retrospectively try to govern that particular service? Well, is 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 one pillar of that? I guess is is protecting your intellectual property in whatever form that means. So, if the intellectual property is making sure you retain the specialist engineers that are putting satellites together by giving them a an easy to use working environment, you don't lock it down. If if it's I'm, I'm regulated and I must protect my information from leakage and leaving the business, then you need to put the measures that are in place. So, so I think, you know, for me, there's, there's pillars that, that are important in this and I, and I tend to... But they sound very, they sound, uh, what you've described there was sounds much more aligned to asking the question, where is the value in your business? Make sure it's safeguarded than perhaps traditional technologists might consider, which is, this is a service, it needs to have parameters. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, working with, with the UK financial organisation was very much in, you know, during the early onboarding, their, their stance was, it is a service, it has knobs and dials that that make things available and not available, we must turn them all down to one instead of having them at varying levels so that there's a restrictive service. 
And, you know, over time, they walked back from that position when they realized, actually, there are certain areas of the business which are much more prone to, um, you know, surface invasion, attack, and they're the parts that need, the, you know, the stronger walls around them. But, you know, somebody working on a canteen menu together is not as critical to the business and therefore requires less, less um, draconian measures. And I think... For me, I would always want to approach it from the the balance of the value to the organization is the people and what they create. I think I'm always a strong believer that, you know, the, the people and the culture make the organization and they produce things that that that, that facilitate um, the business. But without the people, there is very rarely a business that's that's worth anything because they're the ones that move the IP forward. You know, in today's modern modern world, IP has a very short shelf life. You know, what, what is built today as a, you know, diesel engine technology, Elon Musk comes along and builds an electric car and suddenly everybody wants an electric car, you know. So the diesel, the designs and blueprints for that engine, how valuable are they today versus two years ago? So, so you know, you, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a pillar that's that's a balance. And I think where where I see really intelligent um, Office 365 governance is where they're looking in a 50-50 split, where they're saying the business has value in these areas corporately. We protect that value through these approaches. You know, we, we educate on social engineering. We educate on, you know, physical access security. We educate on how to deal with files, not to do, you know, number of people you see working on a train on a laptop, writing emails, you know, all of that sort of stuff scares me. I'm like, I wouldn't write an email on a train. There's, there's way too many things that, that get discussed in that sort of scenario. So it, 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 it's a pillar. It's, it's a strength for an organization if they, if they understand that it is a balance between value of the business and, and value of the technology platform. And what are your and thoughts? I, 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 sorry, sorry, I, I would want to extend that a little bit, right? So the idea around teams, if you think this through the core capabilities of what teams brings is back to that collaboration. Why do I want to get in the middle of that collaboration? If I've got a group of people who are working on something, maybe I should let them do their work. And I want to just put my controls around the outside, make sure they're not doing it on the train and make sure the file stays inside of SharePoint or Teams or make sure the communication happens someplace that I can discover it and archive it as necessary. But other than that, let them do what they want to do. That's what the tool is designed to do. And it is a, a very democratic tool. So sprawl shouldn't be your concern. You should just turn on the archiving and delete groups after they've aged out. And if someone is still using it, they'll holler and say, I need it. So just let it happen. And Victor, what are your views on this? Because obviously, uh, a lot like Wes, you're dealing with multiple organizations who are thinking about governance often from that like traditional IT perspective. Um, do you think that approach is still valid or do you think yeah. that Wes's yeah. alignment to um, sort of the business's IP is more valuable? So it's both yes and no. Uh, I would say some of the large firms and, and clients we have, they have sort of, the, they have the tradition of uh, having that governance in place for whatever kind of system they have. And, and not having that for teams would most likely just frustrate them, create chaos, et cetera. So they, they, I think they need that uh, to feel comfortable with, with the, the, the services they're having because they most likely have governance of, uh, I don't know, SharePoint Yammer, email uh, exchange and whatnot. So why not use the same kind of control and mechanism they have there? Some are heavily regulated where you actually need those kind of things. Uh, so 
but also I prefer uh, me personally uh, I would love to have it all do whatever you want just to, to make you happy essentially and productive uh, but I think there's there's a lot of history and, and teams is not gonna I know the teams is doing some yeah, trying to change a lot of things but they can't change everything and, and st- some things are still in the walls in the, within these companies it has to be done in, in such a way uh, and, and it takes more than just an, another uh, chat and collaboration service to change that. Thank you all very much for your contributions uh, this week. A very gnarly uh, step into the world. <laughs> um, right. So we're going to be back in the autumn and we're going to be inviting some customers to join us. They're going to be telling their stories and we're going to be interrogating their decision making. So for all of you uh, listeners who uh, are embarking on these journeys uh, yourselves, um, hearing uh, from organizations that are perhaps a little further along than you are, we hope will uh, be valuable. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. The New Habits Podcast is produced by Add-in365. Thank you to Victor Villain for participating. Please leave a review in iTunes along with a five-star rating. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening.